What happens after you've learned to read? Should you keep reading? Hello, I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Learning Capacity. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast, improving student learning outcomes with neuroscience-based language and reading programs since 1999. If you'd like to know more about LearnFast, you can visit learnfasthome.com.au. And remember, you can subscribe to this podcast for free, search for Learning Capacity on iTunes, or visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast. It might shock you, but recent research published by the Centre for Independent Studies suggests that one million children are at risk of reading failure in Australia. Effective teaching of reading is a serious issue that deserves significant attention. But what happens after you've learned to read? Should you keep reading? And what if you don't like reading? And what if you have difficulties with reading because of something like dyslexia? And then what about professional reading? Should that be a part of your job? Given that schools are such book-intensive places, would you expect teachers to be readers? With me today are music educators Brad Fuller and Peter Orenstein, who teach at Northern Beaches Christian School in Sydney. They're both keen readers and joined me for a light-hearted discussion about the serious business of reading. Peter, if I can start with you, uh, since, the, since you have uh, only recently come out of university, this is your fourth year, if I told you that I had an expectation that you should do a lot of reading as part of your professional development outside of class time, outside of school time, that it just should be a normal part of what you do, what would you say to me? Great. I love reading. <laughs> well, okay. Over to you, Brad. No, coming, <laughs> coming back, um, you, you like reading, but do you like reading newspapers, magazines? Or if I said, here's a book on some research that's just come out, would you read that too? I would, but only if it's relevant to my practice. When you say relevant to your practice, how relevant does it have to be specifically to music education or if it was generally about how people learned or perhaps about how someone perceives language because music is a language? Yeah, I think uh, right now, if I give you an example of what I'm reading right now, it'd be to do with education, but it could be higher, uh, secondary, primary, mm-hmm. um, but somehow transferable to what I'm doing. All right. And do you find that the, the reading that you do does actually impact what you do on a daily basis? Can you, like, for example, could you be in a classroom situation and something comes to mind that you've read and you think, oh, I'll just weave that into how I'm talking to people today? Sometimes, but um, most regularly it'd be uh, too big for that. And so usually we discuss it over... Um, a coffee or a lunch break or something and then over time would implement a strategy that we agree on or that's come out of a professional reading experience. I'm glad you mentioned uh, coffee there in the uh, presence of Brad Fuller because coffee is a very important part of your professional development, isn't it, Brad? Yes, <laughs> indeed. It goes together, <laughs> yeah. reading and coffee. Yeah, I believe that you have a, a weekly coffee commitment. Indeed, yes. And uh, like put it on my tab type of commitment. Yes, I have uh, several of those actually. Right, very good. So um, needless to say then that reading is something that you engage in a lot. Yes, uh, if I didn't have professional reading, I would be reading the cereal box, uh, the shampoo bottle. I read the shampoo bottle in the shower. (laughs) Because I can't take a book in there, uh, so I can tell you I, I know a lot about jojoba and uh, various other chemicals Actually, in shampoo. Look, there's a lot to be said for labels. Let's just pause on that for a second because I find myself reading a lot of food and product labels now just to find out whether this product came from Aldi stores. Yes, indeed. I, I think that's very important. Yeah, 
Uh, and the answer is, at the moment, invariably, yes. <laughs> things seem to come from Aldi at the moment. Well, let me ask you the controversial question then. If I said to you, Brad, I'm going to expect that it's normal for you as an educator to read outside of your normal working hours, what would you say to me? Well, I'm an outlier. Uh, oh, yeah. rats. <laughs> uh, I, don't think it's, I don't think it should be mandated. Uh, I, wasn't, I haven't always read professionally. Uh, it's only been in later life that I've taken to it. Uh, I start my day every day with professional reading uh, over breakfast, and I find that that uh, it, I get I'm motivated to come to work by what I read. And most of that would be uh, electronic in the morning, so like uh, like a Flipboard type service. Yeah, exclusively Flipboard. Exclusively but, Flipboard. Yeah. Uh, listen, for those, for those of you who don't know what Flipboard is, it's a uh, it's a well. Is it on Android as well? I think I think it is. Yeah, cross-platform. Yeah, it's a, a cross-platform app for iOS and Android. And uh, on the web. Yes, indeed, um, which just serves up news to you and news that could be of interest to you and you can customise it and, and, and read particular feeds. Um, and we've often talked about the use of Flipboard. Yeah, and so uh, either Pete or myself will, uh, in our reading, either in the evening or the morning, will invariably, almost every day, will say... You got to read this, and and so we share our reading, and because it's digital, it's really easy to share, uh, and so that will frame our conversation for the day. It's really more more often than not, I think most days we will come to school and go, "Wow, that was heavy," yeah. a- and we'll talk about it and digest it, and that will it will change our practice. So, Peter, you a flip order as well? Yes, but not as regular as Brad. I think <sighs> I'm doing my masters at the moment, so ah, that, that well, helps. Yeah, well, there's plenty of reading involved in that. Yeah. Yeah, I think to be fair to Pete, he does proper reading of. <laughs> I, I just read blogs, and, uh, and and Pete reads academic journals, and so that that's really that's really good because I'll, you know, the, the blogosphere is current and and it's coalface, and so I'll often say to Pete, "Have you seen this latest blog?" And he'll say, oh, "Well, that's very interesting because I was just reading in the journal about something that extends that." So that's really good. So we're kind of reading in in different places. I'm glad you mentioned journals, actually, because years ago I thought the whole idea of reading an academic journal was a bit kind of, do I have to? That just sounds really boring. And uh, a couple of years ago I also did a master's degree and I found myself, well, reading a lot of journals. Um, And I think that's the expectation as well at university, particularly they don't want you just to read the textbook and then do a Wikipedia search. They actually ask you to... Uh, dig deep into the university uh, databases. Um, Pete, have you had a lot of uh, um, good feedback from the journals that you've read? I mean, do, do you get a lot out of them? Is it, is it worthwhile? Or, or do journals just exist in library databases to fill up hard drives? I think they're amazing. I think, um, yeah, like, like so many articles that you see in the, in the blogosphere, um, I find incredible relevance to to my context, the journal articles that I read every day. I mean, to be fair, some journal articles are very dense in the way that they've been written. I mean, you think, okay, this person was very academic and obviously highly intelligent. and they were, It's almost like they had this incredible desire to get all this information out, but it's almost too dense to read. Do you come across that quite a bit? Of course. That's why the conclusion is there. <laughs> the executive summary. <laughs> no, I think if you come across a sixty-page article journal on benchmarking, then sometimes you go, "Why? 
why would I do this? Mm. Um, however, I think, yeah, I think if you go into the journal article with an aim or with a context in mind, then I find it helps me. If it, say a few years ago when I was in my undergrad, I didn't have a context and I didn't have anything to relate it to. And so I didn't find that interesting at all. Yeah. And I think that's the secret to, to, for all of us is to find that what's in it for me. And I find increasingly everything relates. I can't remember the last time I thought, oh, I don't see how that relates to me. I'm finding everything relates to my, everything I read or everything I see, everything I experience, I find it makes me a better teacher. And so I, I just find everything incredibly relevant. Can I ask you about bandwagons for a minute? Sure. I mean, we love to use those kinds of words. Yes. Uh, I know that you're a big user of isms in the classroom. Indeed. And so we like to pull out cliches and, and words that are often used. That, but often what happens when we come across uh, educational bandwagons is someone will say, here's an author that you must read. Yes. And then suddenly the school says, oh, we're going to go with this for right. a year mm-hmm. or two years or, or we're going to adopt this. How do you guys feel about that? Pete, have you come across that in your few years that you've been here? Yes. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> um, I think there's been a range of... I won't go into specific authors or, or mandates, but um, we've seen different frameworks introduced, different uh, strategies in terms of team teaching, um, different ways about um, going about uh, behavioral issues or anything like that. And so I think how it affects us, but not in a direct way because they, they put it out there and but we have autonomy of what that actually looks like. Do you find that that reduces the enjoyment of what you're reading when you know that someone's really thinking that you should read this? It depends how cool it is. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think generally because yeah. we're, I think we're voracious readers and we're generally ahead anyway. So you just chew it up and go, well, that was, I'll just add that to the, well, I think to we, the list? Yeah, generally we've, we're aware, at least aware of it, or because we're devouring the blogs and the journals... There's a good chance that if somebody says, have you read this, the answer will be yes. Well, you did mention before that you're an outlier, and I, I detected the reference to Gladwell there. Correct. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, he's a very important uh, author in my life. And definitely. after having just suggested that someone telling you to read something might reduce your enjoyment of reading it, I would highly encourage everyone to read Outliers yes. by Malcolm Gladwell and all the other books as well. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's all useful, isn't it? Yeah. There might be some research into hyperinflation. Like I know when I go see a movie... Hyperinflation? Hyperinflation. Hyperinflation? Yeah. Wow. So I think that's when you sort of go, yeah, we must see this movie. It's fantastic. And then you go, Uh, it's not so crash hot. And so I think there's something to do with that. But then again, there's there's articles and there's movies that defy that rule as well. Yeah, well, I I don't think... Either of us is looking for a silver bullet yeah. that's going to fix education. Uh, so we never, we just take everything as incremental and uh, I think we just incorporate. I think the best approach is to fold it in. Just fold it in like making a good sponge cake. Just fold, <laughs> just fold it in. Just keep the mixer going. Just keep the mixer going. Have a spatula on hand. So that's. I think that's my approach. Keep the mixer going on a you know medium setting, rather than the layer up on layer up on layer approach. Yeah, and just fold it in. Okay, yeah. 
Because otherwise, if you use the layer upon layer approach, some things will just stay right down the very bottom and might be a little bit harder to retrieve. Yeah, I, I don't think... Because if you've mixed it in, then it, there's a chance that a small section of that might still be at the top. Indeed. I think there's an element of, of usefulness and truth in any of the buzzwords that I'm aware of or, or the, the buzzy things that have been around in education in the last 30 years. Uh, I think they get popular for a reason. I think there's there's generally some substance in it. And uh, I think we need we need more... Why not in education? There's a lot of people, you know, every time somebody says, have you tried this? No, I've got to try that. <laughs> I've already got my program and my photocopies are done. So, and, and you know, or they give it a half-hearted attempt. I think we should be wholehearted in, mm. in, in, in embracing new ideas and fold them in. Online and on your mobile, you can subscribe to this podcast for free and explore the entire archive of interviews. Search for Learning Capacity on iTunes or visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast. So the role of reading in professional development, how, how, perhaps let's try and think about it in terms of uh, a proportion of your professional development? Should, should it be a large proportion? Could you read a book a year? Should you be reading all the time? Should you have something on the go all the time? Pete, now that you're doing your degree, your master's degree, you've probably got something on the go all the time anyway, readings, chapter readings, researching for assignments. This, this question might be harder for you to answer because, because of all the reading you have to do now, but what do you reckon? What, what, what do you think would be a reasonable expectation? It's hard to answer, like you said, but I think if something's quite important and maybe we can draw upon Hattie, for example, and the books that he's released in the last uh, 10 years, mm. then I think people should be exposed to that at least somewhat. Um, maybe not all of it, but it should be talked about. And something that we've done in the past is got together for half an hour every Thursday and just with other teachers as well from mm -hmm. other domains and and just chatted over Hattie or someone else. Like a book club? Like a book club, but it's more relaxed. Ah, a relaxed book club. Yeah. So lounges, not chairs. Yes. Yes, and coffee maybe. Yeah, I notice you two guys are on the lounge and I'm on a chair. Yeah. But yeah. I'm okay with that because I chose the chair. You did. We don't really do chairs. <laughs> it's too formal for musicians. Brad, can I ask you a controversial question? You're a controversial kind of guy. I am. If... If people in management, and I use that term for want of a better term, mm -hmm. uh, above you were talking about professional development, would you have an expectation that they would be readers? Yes. Why? Uh, sorry, no. No. In an ideal world, leaders are readers. Uh, well, that's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, leaders are readers. Uh, but I think it's as, it's as varied as in the general rank and file. Uh, and just like anything, there's there's plenty of people in education who are at rest in their job. They've made it to where they're <laughs> going. And they're quite happy, and they're living a rich and full life outside of work as well. So here's a, here's a theory that I'm working on. We say to students most of the time, or let's say not most of the time, but there's a lot of language in school that is used that sounds something like this. Can you get your books out? Can you turn to page... 
have you got that book with you today? Mm. Where have you left? Oh, you know, is this your textbook that you left behind in class? So we use a very book type or a book or um, written word heavy language. Um, do you think, therefore, by inference, that the people who use that kind of language should be reading more? What do you reckon, Peter? Um, I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, that's good. I, I think, personally, I, I would want to be non-hypocritical in my leadership. Mm, and good so, point. Yes. Um, I think what Brad was alluding to is that, in reality, that's not the case. But And would we expect? No. But would we like to have mm. people like that? Yes. I think. Mm. Who are on the pulse, who uh, have a wide range of opinions and have synthesized lots of different arguments. I think that'd be great. So let's talk about good things to read. Brad, can you think of some good titles or maybe not titles, but maybe some papers to read? I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, Peter just mentioned Hattie before. Hattie wrote two papers last year which are very easily easily mm. digestible, mm -hmm. The Politics of Distraction and The Politics of Collaborative Expertise, mm -hmm. referring back to a previous conversation we had about collaboration. And they're the sorts of things that you can read in the space of a cup of coffee. Mm. You might sit down for half an hour and you've, you've knocked over the, over the paper. And I actually found those quite interesting. So it, I'm not necessarily talking about book titles, but what have you got for us? Well, I think... Uh, getting into the blogosphere is is a great if if you're not professionally reading at the professionally reading <laughs> if you're not reading for, to improve your practice at the moment then start with bite-sized chunks and there's nothing better than the blogosphere for that um, and from the blogosphere you'll you'll begin to find your people mm. and they'll show you the books uh, mm. you know so when you, as point. you as you develop your appetites. Uh, They'll show you the books. Yeah, mind shift comes to mind. Yes, yeah. uh, so that's that's certainly one that all three of us, uh, uh, our good friend Tina Barsegian. <laughs> <laughs> you got in first. I was just I was dying to use the name yeah. Tina Barsegian, but yeah, credits go to you. Uh, and then I think um, our other good friend George Lucas, uh, the for is not only strong in the force, but he's strong in education as well. And uh, so his uh, foundation. Uh, sponsors Edutopia, which is uh, another fantastic... Is that right? I didn't know that. Mm. Uh, so they're my two go-tos, I think, and uh, I, I would suggest that would be a great place for people to start. Um, but then really for a long time the energy has been in uh, Silicon Valley and, uh, and the startup movement and the whole notion of uh, innovation in... Uh, in entrepreneurship, all of those sorts of things. So I think that can be a really exciting space to get your head into as well because then you can come to school thinking like an entrepreneur mm. or thinking like an innovator uh, and just reframing yourself as somebody who comes to work and makes stuff happen, creates things. Yeah, and it could also really help to inject a little bit of excitement into your day as well. I mean, coming back to Flipboard, there are particular feeds that I like to read, like TechCrunch mm. and Fast Company, yes. um, which, which, you know, as a teacher, you'd think, well, what am I reading those for? Well, and then you think, well, why not? Coming yeah. back to your suggestion before, and then yeah. suddenly you think, well, if I'm reading this stuff, I'm reading about really super creative people who are coming up with good ideas all the time. Maybe that's what I need to brighten up my day. Well, I th yeah, and I think the way you brighten up your day it starts in your mind. So we're talking about mindsets. And I think uh, the things that I get excited about is, is when I'm reading about 
creative people having doing creative things and uh i think my reading is all about about setting up my mindset for the day and uh i get really excited about what what i read from from those techie sort of places because they're solving problems mm. and and i think that's the key for us as educators isn't it is to solve the problems in our in our classrooms uh every day peter anything beyond the journals for you yeah i think um Brad's introduced me to a few books that we've been reading to get at the same time. Um, one's been Blended by Michael B. Horn. Um, I think he's part of the Clayton Christensen. He is. Institute. Wow, you've got him onto Clayton Christensen. Yeah. Wow. He uh, referenced Clayton in a recent uh, publication no for way. the university. Wow. Mm. Good work. <laughs> got, it, got him in there. Yeah. Uh, we try to reference that book pretty much everywhere we go. So um, it's pretty pretty big one yeah my friend Clayton <laughs> yeah we're on a first name basis yeah uh, another one is Open by David Price mm-hmm. um, yeah I think the Lean Startup for both of us as yeah. well uh, is something that, that we come back to every day mm. uh, Nudge thinking about um, about making small adjustments that have uh, large outcomes yeah coming just coming back quickly to um, the Lean Startup the Build Measure Learn framework yes so simple and so applicable for education, don't you think? Yeah, I don't understand why we're not all talking about yeah, it all build, the time. Yeah, build, measure, learn. Do something, measure its effectiveness, learn from it. Yeah. Do something else the next time. Yeah. Or let's do not, the same thing better. Let's mm. not talk too much about it because I think we should all write that book and make lots of money first <laughs> and then let's come back. Gentlemen, it's been an inspiration as always. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Learning Capacity, brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to know more about the situation with Australian children at risk of reading failure, you can download the report from the Centre for Independent Studies website. That's cis.org.au. And if you'd like to know more about LearnFast, visit learnfasthome.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.